What's poppin', y'all? Bunsen Burners Podcast, episode number six. Bringing y'all the heat, man, the heat. We're talking about some good stuff this, this week, man. Talking about some good stuff. Talking about the Nuggets and the Heat, their little brawl, the Hawks and why they suck, the Lakers and some of their question marks. Talking about the free throws and the refs as well. And we also talking about the Kings and why the draft sucks. Stay tuned. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about this episode is the officiating referee free throw topic. Now, as we all know, they uh, they brought in new rules to basically eliminate this whole leaning into defender, you know, um, unrealistic basketball moves that lead to fouls. They pretty much took took, took they took that out of the uh, out of the game, which I personally like. With that being said, there has been a drop in scoring throughout the league, not only by teams, but by individual players, obviously. So I wanted to look at, the, at some of the uh, top guys from last year in terms of free throw attempts and just see how much of a difference there really is. Embiid led the league in free throw uh, attempts last year with 10.7. He's down to 8.6 this season. Not huge, but I'll get into why that matters in a little bit. Giannis is down 0.4. Zion has not played yet. Trey Young, he's down three free throws. Jimmy Butler's up, which is saying something. Bradley Beal is down three and a half. DeRozan is up. Butler and Rose are both up. They're both having career years. So I think that says something a lot uh, in itself. Fox is down, and Dame is down by four, which kind of explains uh, some of his numbers. Scoring is down. The Overall pace of the game is up. You know, there's, there's less stoppages, less reviewing, because there's less fouls. There's less free throws. Ten players this year are averaging 25 points or more per game this season. There were 14 last year. Two players were averaging 30, 30 or more last season. There are zero this year. So this is good, but this is good for the game, bad for the game. Personally, for me, like, I don't know about y'all, but the past month of basketball, I guess you know it's only been, I like, could be me. We 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 did a preseason and a couple of weeks of the regular season, but the past month, this is some of the greatest basketball I've seen in a while. Because obviously I wasn't alive in the '90s, and you know we could fantasize, and I wasn't really you know fully functioning, <laughs> my brain in the early, in early 2000s. So my basketball knowledge at least live, kind of started in, uh, I guess, you know, when I was about, you know, eight years old, like 2006, 2007. I did not see physicality like this until now. <laughs> so is it great for the game? I'm not sure. I think, uh, I think I personally, I've seen some fouls that have not been called, that have, sh- that should have been called. And Damian Lillard, is one of the guys saying the way the game being called is pretty much BS. He openly said that. And we know he's struggling. James Harden is also one of the guys who's been struggling this season. And his free throw attempts are down as well by about two, if I recall correctly. 
I remember just talking to people and they always say like, oh, the people, the people in the 90s suck, uh, you, know, you know, plumbers, X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think this says something, bro. I think this says that like, when, you, like, when you can become physical against certain players, I'm not sure if it's mentally or if it's physically, they're just not as productive. And I know it's still early. I know a guy like Damian Lillard is not going to average, you know, 18 points, something like that for the whole season. But will he be averaging the 28 plus he's been averaging almost every single year for the past like five years? Probably not. He's going to be down to about, you know, 24, 25, maybe 26. And that's, that's still really good, but it makes you question. I mean, how reliant were these guys on, you know, drawing fouls? And I know Dane wasn't like, you know, some, some like foul free throw merchant who, whose game plan was to draw fouls. But I mean, he was a guy who did draw some cheap fouls, just like James Harden, just like Trey Young, guys like that. Now there's still a guy who take my team tomorrow, 100%. I hope, I hope the Knicks trade for him today. <laughs> but I mean, it does make you question, it was, would everybody be good in the 90s? Like, would would all of these guys be survived? Because I'm not. Because obviously the 90s weren't some you know UFC cage match. They weren't just hip checking everybody and you know slapping people across the arm every free throw. That's not that's not that's not the way it was. Go on YouTube, watch a 90s game. There were literally open lanes to the basket all the time. Was as open as today's game? No, that's because the spacing is is better today. And obviously there's some more favorable rules for the offense. But hand-checking was a thing in the 90s, and even in the early 2000s. That has been eliminated until recently. And I know the hand-checking is still, is still not legal, but defenders in, in the game right now are getting handsy, bro. They're getting handsy. And these are these are things that have been called fouls for the past decade, which is, which is some of these guys' whole careers. Harden came to the league in 2009, 2010. Dame, 2012, 2013. Bradley Beal's been around for a while, obviously. Trey Young, you know, he's new, but I mean, he's been playing ball his whole life. So what, do, do I think these guys will be struggling the whole entire season? No. And Beal's winning, so I, I doubt he even cares. And Harden had probably the best game of the, of the season on, was it Thursday, Friday, when he had like 40 points? So what I'm saying is I think these guys will kind of figure it out, these new rules, how to still get to their bucks, how to win, how to produce. Will they be as efficient as they once were? I'm not sure. Will they be as prolific scorers as they once were? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. But what this does tell to me is that some of these guys, once you get physical with them, it becomes hard for them to score. And we, and we can talk about the new ball. I know we talked about this last week, the new ball having an effect on some of the guys. Uh, sure, whatever. But it's not, it's not affecting everybody. I know some guys have, you know, lower three-point percentages. Curry is slapped in 29. KD's having one of the best years of his career. Is his three-point three percentage is down for sure. But the guy's shooting like, you know, 58% from the field. So how much is he really struggling? Not much. Before I move on, I just want to say, I think that this is great for the game. I think it, I, I, I was tired of watching, you know, 
overtimes and the last five minutes of the fourth quarter lasts like an hour. It was too much, too many fouls, too much non-basketball going on, especially during big-time moments in the game, during the clutch, during, you know, the ending points. You don't want to leave the game into the hands of the referee. And then making a call is leaving the game in the hands of the referees. And, you know, so is not making a call and, you know, allowing more physical contact might also have the same effect. I just want to see it be consistent. That's the only that's the only concern I have. Will it be consistent amongst all referees? Because I don't want to, and, and, and I don't want obvious blatant fouls not be called because then it's like, because I've seen them. I've seen it happen. Like, I, like if, you, if you just watch a Nets game, Harden, although he is a guy who has baited referees in the past, and he's still he's, he's still having some calls right now that I think are good calls, or certainly well, I guess good good no calls. They're not they're not calling fouls on certain things that I don't think are fouls. But there's some times where he's getting his arm raked down, or someone's coming across during a layup and slapping both of his wrists, and like that's just not allowed. So I don't want it to become a point where it's like you know guys are just damn near committing flagrant ones and then they're they're no calls. I want it to be a nice balance. I think right now it's a little too much, but I do think by the time you know January, February, March comes, we'll see you know a more clear distinction between what is being called a foul now and what is not being called a foul. But I think we can all agree that. With less fouls, the pace of the game is better, and it's just it's just nice it's nice to see people trying to score buckets during you know the actual play, as opposed to trying to trap someone's arm or catch someone reaching and go for a shot and or leaning back or sideways or forward, whatever's going on. I think it's better for the game to have people actually try to play basketball instead of trying to shoot free throws. So good job, good job, NBA. But don't let this get out of control. That's what I'll say. Don't let it get out of control. All right, let's talk a little Lakers. A little Lakers. I'm trying to keep this short because, you know, we talk about the Lakers every single week. But let's be honest, it's hard not to. It's hard not to. They're very... Uh, interesting team not only now but historically but really right now just in terms of their, their current structure and their current roster and all that LeBron has been out we know that much he's getting old man and I hope you know I'm not the world's biggest LeBron fan but I do enjoy watching him play I do I don't want to see this guy getting hurt every single month now, you know, whether it's, you know, groin, the abdominal strain, whatever it is, I I want to see the guy on the court. So it sucks seeing him hurt. Hopefully he's back soon and, you know, we'll stay on the court more often than not. AD, Anthony Davis, he's just struggling from three, shooting 14%, but honestly, who cares? Who cares? He's 6'11", damn near 7 foot, get his ass in the fucking paint. He's too damn big to be shooting all these threes. And, like, I know he can shoot X, Y, and Z, but 
and there's, there's, you know, there's guys who can shoot and they're that tall, like Kevin Durant and whoever else you want to name. But this is a guy who is a dominant physical force. Not quite Giannis, but like in terms of, you know, forcefulness. He's not like, you know, like, like, like a Shaq. But he's a big dude. And he's wildly athletic. Is he, is he a little fragile? Probably. But when he's not falling on the floor, he's one of these probably, you know, at his peak, top seven, top eight at the minimum, borderline top five, depending on what you like in the NBA. He's having a great year. And everyone wants to look at his, his three-point percentage. Who cares? Why do you want your seven-foot power forward launching threes anyway? Get him in the post. Get him in the pick and roll. Make him attack. Give him a little mid-range that he likes. He, he likes a mid-range. Enough, enough of the threes. And once LeBron comes back and he's playing and kicking off the Anthony Davis for open threes, guess what? It's going to go up. So I'm not concerned about that. With LeBron out, Westbrook and AD have, have been building some chemistry. Yeah, I watched a couple games, some highlights, you know. And I'm not going to say it looks like a championship team with just them two, because it definitely doesn't. But I do like a little bit of what I've been seeing. Do I trust it to carry on to the playoffs and win them games or rounds? Definitely not. That's why I have LeBron James. But those non-LeBron minutes will be crucial. So I like what I'm seeing from them. You know, like I think they're doing great at pick and roll. It's a little sloppy, a little sloppy. Guess what? This is what this is what the season is for: building chemistry, building rapport, knowing each other, getting used to playing with each other, getting wins, so you can be ready for the postseason. Let's talk a little Westbrook individually. There was a stat that came out the other day. And it's not a new stat. It's a stat that's been around circulating for the past couple of years. But came on again because Westbrook had a pretty good game against the Heat. It was a stat that said basically Westbrook is the most clutch player in the NBA. The most clutch player in the NBA. And I forgot the, I forgot what the stat exactly said, but it was something along the lines of during clutch time, which I'm not sure exactly how it's defined, but I believe it's like, you know, within five points, like the score, and like, you know, five minutes or less in the game, all these factors, whatever. So however you define clutch time, but apparently he said he said the most shots uh, in in those clutch moments, and whether it was the most game winners or game tying, whatever it was, he, 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 he had the most of those shots or points or whatever. I hate that stat. I hate it. I hate it. Because no matter how big of a Westbrook fan you are, you know for a fact he is not the most clutch player in the NBA. He's not. Is he top five? No, he's not. You, you, you know he's not. I know he's not. He, he might know. He might think he is, but he's not. When I think of clutch guys, when I think of clutch guys, and I hate this whole clutch moment thing because, like, you know, I'll, I'll say it for later. But when I think of clutch guys, I think of guys who I can trust with the ball to make a play, whether that's scoring or passing in the final few minutes. I think of guys like Kevin Durant. I think of guys like Dame. 
I think the guy said, the guy said LeBron James. Because LeBron will hit the open man with an instant in the clutch. Will, will, will the guy hit it? Maybe. Maybe not. But he makes the, play, makes the right play every single time. Every, every single time. At least, at least the past, like, six, seven, eight years. Westbrook, on the other hand, he is not a guy you can trust with the ball in the final minutes. I'm not, but so it, I, I want to look. I want to look at this heat game. The final six. The final sixty seconds of the fourth quarter. But the Lakers, Lakers ended up winning this game in overtime. But final sixty seconds of the fourth quarter. Right. We had Westbrook with the ball. It was a tie game. Pull up jumper hits it. Takes the lead, up two. Next play, he tie. Westbrook comes back. Tie game again. About like maybe twenty some seconds left. Guess he gets into a little post turnaround, one legged step back. Hits it, bro. Hits it. Great shot. I believe that's a shot that I would love for him to take. Probably not, but guess what? He hit it. Who cares? He hit it. Takes the lead, up by two. Two clutch plays in a row by Westbrook. Next play, he tied again. It's a, it's a tie game. Eight or so seconds left, whatever it was. Westbrook has the ball in his hands. Tie game, tie game. Now, let's just think about it. His past two shots, right, were him attacking the defense. On the pull-up jumper, he attacked and pulled up open jumper. And he hits those when, he, when he's feeling it, which he was at that moment. His other play was an attack into the paint, turned around, hit a little fadeaway, attacking the basket, making the defense collapse, put, put, put pressure on them. Final play of the game, tie game. West, or final play of the fourth quarter, excuse me, tie game. Westbrook's strengths, we all know this, are driving to the hoop. But this is my problem. Tie game, he isos. He's not. He's, he's not a great iso player. He's not. But you no, know, he was feeling good. Give him the ball. Takes a pull up three, contested, in a tie game, breaks it, goes to overtime. Lakers end up winning, so who cares? But this is what I'm talking about, bro. So I'm talking about. He'll make two good plays, and then just bomb a three. Now, I don't know what Frank Vogel is telling them in the huddle. I don't know what they're going over in practice. But this is not uh this is this is not new. This is a guy who when Ken Durant was on his team, he was still bombing threes. Westbrook was bombing threes. I mean, when he had Harden on his team, he was still taking crazy shots. When he had Bradley Beal, a little bit less, he was taking great shots, but he's still taking them. So, he had two great clutch plays, and then when it came down to the game of the line, once again, he, he, took a, he, he took a bad shot. That's not a good shot. And that's not a good shot for most guys. There's only maybe a handful of guys I would want taking a pull-up three to win the game. And there's probably only maybe two or three of them that I would want to take it. When the game is tied, you don't need three. You don't need two, you need one. 
go get the two or go get fouled. Hit, hit, hit the one free throw that they need to win the game. Why are you bombing a three? You're not a good shooter. So I'm not hating on Westbrook. I'm just hating on what I see. Can I know when LeBron's there, it'll be different, and LeBron will be handling the ball in those last minutes, but this is what I'm concerned about. The IQ, the decision-making. Because think about it. If you're the defense, right, you are begging, begging, Westbrook to, to, to shoot the ball. You're begging. So if you're Westbrook, why are you doing the one thing the defense is begging you to do? You go to any Heat fan, Westbrook has the ball. You ask any Heat fan what they hope happens from Westbrook outside of turnover. You're hoping he takes a three. Because you know why? It's probably a brick. Does he have some game-winning threes? Some game-time? Yeah, he does. But guess what? Those are all these are shots that the entire NBA is living with. Every single opposing fan is praying he takes that shot. So why are you taking the shot? Now, if you hit it, you know I might I might not be able to say anything. I might be I might be eating my own words. And it's easy to say all this when he missed it. But even if he hit it. Is that a good shot selection? It's a good shot, sure. You, you, you hit it. But okay, will, will you hit it again? Or a third time? Or will I even want you taking it the first time, second time, third time? No. You know why? Because your strength is not shooting the ball. So if it's not your strength, then why are you settling? I will confess, though, I will confess this. I do believe the Lakers will keep winning and turn things around. I do believe it. I do have a feeling that this is not the last version we will see. Will there be a trade? Maybe. Will there be, you know, some buyout guys come to come to the team? Probably. But in terms of the guys we have right now on this team, mainly Westbrook, LeBron, AD, you know, Melo, etc., if they can just figure out how to not only play offense, but play defense, well, obviously, <laughs> but, you know, a functioning version, an efficient version of the offense, and a solid defense that people are not just happy to play against. Obviously, this team can win a chip, bro. Obviously. Last three minutes of the game, though, I have my concerns, and it's for reasons like, like we saw in that Heat game. All right, let's look at the Hawks, because something is wrong with the Hawks. Now, last week, we did the uh, panic meter. Kind of trying to see how concerned we are with some of the teams. Atlanta was on there, and I believe at the time, Atlanta was like 4-6, and six, something like that, 4-5, and five, whatever it was. And me, Avery, Willie, we were saying that, you know, we're not too concerned just because, you know, we saw we saw they did last year. We believe in the guys they have. They're a deep team, well-coached, et cetera, et cetera. 
Since then, they've lost every single game. They're currently 4-9. and nine. They've lost eight of their last nine games. So what's the problem? This is a team who is considered a dark horse t- title contender. They were. And, and anyone saying no, they weren't. That's a, they were. This is a team who last year took out Philly, pushed the Bucks to, to, to their brink, and maybe, you know, I know Giannis got hurt earlier in the series, but maybe if Trey Young didn't roll his ankle on the, my rest foot, they might be in the finals. And who knows? They might have a chip, bro. I know I know Phoenix is good, but who knows, right? And they're young, and they're, they're supposed to be improving. This is a team who, who was seen before the season to be a team that can make some noise and potentially sneak into the finals. Win, maybe lose, probably. But it's a team who was considered, you know, a top Eastern Conference team. Basically bringing everyone back from last season and running it back. Now, what's the problem? Is it the fact they got too many guys? Too many guys is not not, not enough not enough food for everybody? Only one ball? I'm not sure that's the problem because I don't think anyone here is selfish. I think Trey Young's have happy to move the ball around. I don't think John Collins is a volume shooter. I don't think Daniel Hunter is a guy who is, you know, begging for the ball on Preds. Maybe Cam Reddish wants to shoot a little more than he should, but he's not a guy who's taking, you know, 15 shots a game. Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, these guys, these guys aren't ball dominant. So I'm not sure what's happening. But here's why I think it's happening. Last season, last season, right? They were, they, were, they were able to rally around a few things, right? Mid-season, they were kind of playing like garbage. Coach got fired. Nate McMillan became head coach. Then they were rolling, rolling, right? Rolling. All the way up to the five seed from being, you know, from missing the playoffs every single season to basically having a bad season last year to turning into a fifth seed. They go against the Knicks, who at the time people saw as, you know, at least, you know, an almost even matchup. Some favor the Knicks, some favor the Hawks, but at the end of the day, it was pretty even. They had the same record. Knicks had home court advantage. In those first couple games, the first few games, it looked, it looked pretty close. Obviously, the Hawks end up pulling it out, but I think that moment gave them a lot of confidence, right? Because no, no one, no one was really taking them seriously until the after that series. And by serious, I mean a team that could beat anybody. Then they go to seven with Philly, take them out, and it's like, whoa, they beat the Knicks, beat the first seed Philly Sixers. And then they go into Milwaukee. And I believe they lost in either six or seven, I forgot, but they were they were going toe to toe. And with Trent healthy, it looked, it looked like they might beat them. So when you're rallying around, you know, the coach being fired and you're rolling with momentum, you know, into the playoffs, beat the Knicks, beat Philly, almost beat the Bucks. Like, you're hot, bro. You're feeling good. They were seen as underdogs. This season, they're not being seen that. They they came into this year with, with expectations. They're supposed to be good. Last year, they were supposed to be decent, ended up being really good. Now, this year, they're supposed to be really, really, really good. 
again, if not great. Winning less than 48 games this year would be a massive disappointment, I would think. Maybe, maybe not massive, but, you know, 82, 82 games. They're probably aiming to win, you know, 50-plus. I think most people saw them as, like, you know, a minimum five seed again, considering, you know, team like, team like the Heat and the Bulls and, you know, everyone else got better. But they're, I think they're a minimum five seed. No? Well, like I said, right now they're, they're four and nine. Last year, they had nine players averaging 10 or more points per game this year. Uh, points per game. This year, is only six. So nine last year. That, that's almost two lineups. This year, you only have a starting five and then, and then one bench guy. And I know last year it was easier to look at because, you know, you had some guys who were out and coming in. And so, you know, like you had Hunter averaging more than 10, but then when he was out and veterans would come back, he would average 10. And, you know, so it's not, it's not, it's not that simple. But we are seeing a little bit of struggling. I look, I look, I look at some of the stats, some of the advanced stats, some of the normal stats. Nothing, nothing is that out of the ordinary. The percentages are the percentages are still pretty close. Trail scoring is down. Only by a few points though. And that's probably attributed to free throws. Like we just talked about. But you know, their net rating is fine. Offensive and defensive rating is, you know, similar to last year. Uh they're not really stopping anybody. And I think this like you know, last year they were bottom half in the league in defense. This this year they're even worse, but not by a whole lot. So you know you wouldn't really expect their record to be this bad, considering they're having some a lot of similarities in terms of you know statistics uh, as last year. But I think the problem is there's no fire under this team. When you're rallying around a coach being fired, when you go into MSG, take out the Knicks, when you go into Philly, take out Philly, go toe-to-toe with the Bucks, you have this fire breathing under you. Is the fire still there? Maybe. Is it as big as last year? Definitely not. Definitely not. Now, when I watch them, I don't, I don't think they're playing less hard. That's not, that's not the case. But I do think it does come down to winning plays, heart, and hustle in those last few minutes. It does. Because you can practice all you want, X, Y, and Z. But a lot of the last few minutes of the game comes down to instincts and execution. Because they they obviously have the talent. Trey Young is one of the best players in the league. John Collins is playing great. Capella earned his contract. Bogdanovich is supposed to be, you know, a nice secondary offensive weapon. So so is Kevin Herter. Hunter is healthy. Reddish is healthy. So what's going on? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But it is something I will keep I will keep my eye on and you should keep your eye on as well. Alright, let's do a little rookie watch. Check out some rookies. Cade is back. 
I guess not back, but he's here. <laughs> he was hurt. Now he's playing. And he's playing bad. Not bad, but he had, he had a couple good games. But, you know, slow start for him. Slow start for him. Is he, is he a little rusty? You know, is it hard? Obviously, it's a huge, huge transition from college to the pros. It is. Right now, he's shooting 31% from the field, averaging about 11 points a game. But you can just tell when someone's actually, you know, going to be good. You can tell by how they move on the court, how they, you know, conduct the offense. And he's a he's a guy. He's a guy. He's very patient. He you can you can tell he's kind of slowly picking things up. He went up he went up against Jalen Green the other day. One pick versus number two pick. And Kane is very, you know, laid back, at least from what I've seen. And Jalen Green is not not laid back. He's very cocky, very uh out there. Energetic. Is that bad? I don't think so. I love I love it. I love it. I like Cade too. I like both demeanors. Jalen Green only averaging fourteen. But guess what? He's also he's also in shooting, you know, thirty five percent. But he's also a guy who you can just tell he has it. You can tell he has it. There's a because obviously when a guy comes in Unless you're LeBron or Luca or, you know, Jordan. You're not going to come in averaging, you know, 20-plus and on great efficiency and winning games and X, Y, and Z. But a lot of the guys that who you know are going to be good, you can just see it in their game, whether it's the quick first step, whether it's, you know, the step back or the handles or the passes they make. Cade and Jalen Green are both two guys who, I, who although they're struggling, Jalen Green's a super athlete, bro. No one can stay in front of him. And once he gets by you, you might as well get out the way. Because guess what? He's, he's going to dunk on you. Cade is like a he's, he's, he's like, he's like a point forward again. And those guys, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it. And we've seen these kind of skills be productive. This guy, he, he can shoot once he figures it out. NBA range. He's a solid finisher. He's big. I have faith in him, so I'm not going to bash him yet. But I do want to make sure that we're aware you guys aren't playing as well as we had hoped. Because guys like LaMelo came in, he looked pretty good. Edwards last year, though, beginning of the year, was wildly inefficient. So let's so let's make sure we're not judging the guys, you know, 10, 15, 20 games in. Let's give him a year, give him two years, give him three. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it. Cade got the double with Jalen Green as well. So good for him. Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes and the Raptors. When he was drafted, he was supposed to be a defensive goon who was going to be a project on offense, right? The defense is here, and so is the offense. There's no project. Well, maybe it is. But he's averaging 16 and 8 on 50%. Tell me, in the last 20 years, a guy who comes to the league seen as raw offensively and would have to be developed, who came into the league averaging 16 points a game on 50% from the field. This guy's supposed to be a project down the road who might develop some offensive game. He's coming in right now and showing stuff. Now, will this keep up? I'm not, I'm, I don't know. But right now he's doing it. 
So shout out to Scotty Barnes. I like him. Mobley as well. He's very similar. Well, not really, but they're both, you know, good defenders, good two-way players. Mobley's a little more, you know, big man. Scotty Barnes is more like, you know, a power forward who can guard, you know, guards. But it's good to see a guy who is supposed to be a project, a project on offense come in and look like a guy who was NBA-ready offensively, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Chris Duarte, he's, you know, a guy who was NBA-ready offensively, but he's, he's, like, he's like 24 years old, almost 25. He's older than freaking R.J. Barrett and Tyler Hero. And obviously older than Scotty Barnes. So, you know, shout out to the rookies. Shout out to the rookies. Love seeing them. And, you know, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on them throughout the season. Alright, let's talk a little Kings. A little draft. A little NBA draft. You know, it's kind of a weird time to talk about it, but you'll see why I'm bringing this up all in the end. Now, last week, I'm recording this on Sunday. Last week, the Kings had a game. They were losing. I believe, I believe, I believe they're losing. I saw the clip. I didn't see the score. But Marvin Bagley, their lottery pick from a couple years ago, was told by the coach to go into the game, and he basically said, no, I'm good. He said, no, I'm good. This was the second overall pick in 2018. Taken before Luka. Taken before Trey Young. Taken before Jaron Jackson Jr., Miles, and Mikael Bridges, not Libid, and Michael Porter Jr. That's what, six, seven guys is named? All, all better than Marvin Bagley? Now, I did watch Marvin Bagley at Duke. I did. Was he great at Duke? 100%. I did see Trey Young at Oklahoma, averaging 30 and 10. I did. I saw it. No, I didn't see Luka in Slovenia or wherever he was. Or was it Spain playing, you know, overseas? But I'm also not a professional scout. That's not my job, too. So will I say that this is a horrible pick? I'm not going to say that. But do the Kings front office and fans all wish they had any of the other six guys I named? A hundred percent. Now, this is a story. There is a story on why tanking and why trading for draft picks is often a mistake. All right. So, so let's, I use the Kings because of the whole Bagley problem, but the Kings have been rebuilding since, what, 06? <laughs> as soon as they dealt Chris Webber, they've been rebuilding, basically. I know, I know they had that one playoff year in, like, 05, whatever it was, when they had, like, Ron Artest. <laughs> or I'm, not, I'm not even sure I'm, I'm saying it's true, but I'm pretty sure it, it feels so long ago that that might be a, it might be accurate. But, anyway. Their first, I would say, big uh, you know, legitimate splash in the draft after Chris Webber was 
was obviously DeMarcus Cousins. And you can talk about his, you know, his attitude, whatever. At the end of the day, he got his average 25 and 12 in his prime. Empty stats, I don't care. He was still balling. That was a that was a money pick. 2010. 2010. So let's just look at some of the guys they've taken in the draft since then. And by the way, by, by the way, by the way, they've been in the lottery. In the lottery. Top 15 picks. Every single season. Since 2010. And even, and even before 2010. But Every single season. So we, we have a lot, of, a lot of things to look at, look at right here. So 2010 was Boogie. 2011, they drafted Bismack Biombo, Traded him for, for German for that, right? Obviously, you already have Boogie. You don't need Biombo. He's a center. Get a guard. Makes sense. Makes sense. And for that was a bucket. Bucket in college. Bucket. But we know he's not, he's not a bucket in the NBA. He's a bucket in China. Do you know who's a bucket in the NBA right now? Clay Thompson. You know who else? Jimmy Butler. Kemba Walker is, you know, he's not a bucket, but he's he's solid. He was pretty good for, like, you know, almost 10 years there, though. Kemba. I mean, I said Kemba already, sorry. Kawhi. These are all guys they could have had. These are all guys they drafted, I mean, that were drafted after Biombo. And after Jimmy, after Jimmy Fredette. Look at that. Clay, Jimmy, Kemba, Kawhi, even the Morris twins. So that's one miss. 2012, they took Thomas Robinson. Do you know who that is? The only reason I know that is is because I played 2K14. I played on the Blazers in my career. So I know I know Thomas Robinson is. Now the problem is, you hear the word Blazers, right? Blazers. Robinson was traded by the Kings during his rookie season. You know why? Because he was garbage. And guess who was one pick? One pick after Thomas Robinson. Ready? Damian Lillard. So so they got Cousins in 2010, 2011, 2012, both scratches. 2013, they took Ben McLemore. Could have had CJ McCollum. Could have Giannis. Giannis, I'm not gonna blame them. He was, you know, he was unforeseen being this good, but the could have McCullum over Ben McLemore, who I know was, you know, good in, in uh, I believe I believe went to Michigan. McCullum, at the end of the day, you missed. You missed. 2014, they, they took Nick Stauskas. Could have had TJ Warren. Could have had Zach Levine. Could have had Bogdan Wadanovich. Could have had Dario Saric. But no, they got Nick Stauskas. 2015, it's a Willie Cully Stein. Could have had Miles Turner. Could have had Devin Booker. 2016, Marquise Chris, who they traded traded for Bogdan. Good trade. Good trade. But they didn't keep Bogdanovich, so who cares? 2017, took the Aaron Fox. Good pick. Not gonna be mad at them. They could have had they could have had Donovan Mitchell. But Darren Fox was better than Donovan Mitchell in college. So who cares? And he's still good right now. So that's why I don't care. 2018, they took, took Bagley. You guys said that. Bagley over Luca, Trey, Darren Jackson, Bridges, both of them, <laughs> and Michael Boyd Jr. 2020, sorry, sorry, 2019, they traded away their pick years prior in a salary dump. 
a salary dump. The Kings taking a salary dump. Teams that take salary dumps are supposed to be clearing their cap space. Or they had too many good players, so, 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 so they got to clean, clean up cap space because they're already paying other guys. The Kings have nobody. Name one King in 2019 besides Darren Fox and Bagley. <laughs> they, tra- they traded with their pick, which ended up basically essentially being Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. 2020, they took, took Halliburton, good pick. 2021, they took Davion Mitchell. He's probably a good pick. He's, you know, a good defender. We'll see how good he is soon. Now, am I violating the Kings for missing on some of these picks? No. You know why? A lot of these guys were really good in college. And a lot of them had skills that should have been able to translate into the NBA. But guess what? They didn't. And it's and, and, and it's different when it's one year or even two. It's been damn near 15. Of miss after miss after miss after miss. So this is why when teams tank, I don't understand. We saw it with Philly. They tanked. They only got two players out of the whole process. They got Embiid, who missed almost a year and a half. Ben Simmons, who missed a year. Ben Simmons is off the out off the team, and then Beat's still here. They also they, we forget the process. They also took Jalen Okafor, who was good his rookie year, good in college. He's almost out of the league. They took no one was Noel, who's a backup center. They took Markel Fultz, who is I don't know he's alive anymore. I've heard about him in in, in like a year. So I'm not mad because these are all guys who were good in college, you know, you know, and decent the rookie season. But these are guys who were misses. They were misses, and there were other guys in the draft who you could have taken. And that's that. You can you can say this about any team for any draft. But this is what I'm saying though that that tanking does not work, and that draft picks are not always the answer. So when teams tank, it doesn't make sense. And when teams trade their star for you know. Three first round draft picks, five pick swaps, and two second rounders. Are you sure it's a good move? Look at Boston, though. Boston traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett for some draft picks, and that worked out great. Did they end up winning a championship? No. They still have a chance, kind of, maybe, with Jalen Brown and Tatum if that works out, but they were an elite team for a pretty good amount of time uh, following that trade. Look at the Rockets. They traded Harden for everything, for a billion picks. Are we sure that they're going to be good in the next five years? They might, they might end up being the Kings again. Meanwhile, the Nets are fighting for a title. OKC traded Westbrook and Paul George and Chris Paul for a billion picks. They have probably, what, 30 first-round picks over the next 10 years? Something like that. I don't know. I'm probably dramatic, but am I? It's probably close. Are we sure they're going to be good? Are we sure? They have some pieces, but are we sure? The draft is not nice to its participants. It's unpredictable. It's random. We don't know who is really going to be a star. We don't know who's not. All I'm, but my whole point of this, of the situation, 
is that keep this in mind for teams with a million picks, like OKC, because it might not work. We, it sounds great on paper when you have all these shots at the pinball and all these shots of finding a star. It's not guaranteed. And keep this in mind for teams trying, trying to trade away stars, like Philly. There's a reason why Philly doesn't want all these draft picks. It's partly because, one, you have Embiid, who is right now in his prime and might only have a few more, year, a few more years of physical top-shelf top health left in him. But it's also because you don't want unguaranteed talent. You want talent on your team. So why are you trading for fifth graders when you have a player on your team? You know what I mean, does it work out on paper? Yes. Does it work out for some teams like Boston? Yes. But look at the teams recently who have won chips. Let's look at last year. The Bucks, they got lucky with Giannis. I'm pretty sure Middleton was a second round pick. Drew Holiday, they traded for. Or assign them, whatever it was. Those are top three guys. Two of them were lucky, and one of them was a uh, a pickup. Before that, the Lakers. They got AD from a trade. Now, now did, did they trade all these picks that they took, like you know Lonzo and Ingram and whoever else? Yeah. But guess who the winner was? The Lakers, because they had AD. Do you think they want all those picks? Hell no. Would, would they trade AD back for Lonzo, Ingram, and Josh Hart? Probably not. <laughs> Obviously not, because you have AD. Before that, the Raptors. They had Kawhi. Who they traded for? They got Lowry. Who they picked up? They had Marcus All. Who they traded for? Serge Ibaka, who might have been afraid to see, might have been a trade. I don't know. Guess what? It wasn't a draft pick. Before that, you know, it was the Warriors for a couple years and the Cavs, who the Warriors did draft pretty well. So, you know, but once again, Draymond was was lucky. He was a second-round pick. But it did, they did, you know, it did help them, you know, signing KD. The biggest acquisitions are through free agency and through trade. It's very, very rare. Very, very rare that the that the best player on a championship team was drafted to that team. It's very rare. Especially when that guy was like a top five pick. And when and when it does happen, you are surrounded, you surround that player rarely, rarely with other draft picks that you make. It's always by a player that you pick up. So you know, so we can talk about the Dirk Dirk ring and the Mavs. And Dirk was drafted by by the uh, Mavs, and they Jason Terry wasn't. Jason Kidd was not. Actually, might have been. But you get, the, you get the idea. Chandler wasn't. The Spurs was probably the last team who their core was drafted, and even those were were, were lucky. Ginobili was a late pick. So was Parker. Duncan was number one, but. It's very rare you even see a guy stay on the team for that long. So my point is, to wrap this up, is just be careful with what your team does with players. 
or with their methodology. So you don't want a team that's just trading trading away guys for draft picks because that doesn't always work. And you don't want a team who is just losing game on purpose in order to get draft picks. Or high draft picks, because once again, it does not always work. Alright, the last thing I want to talk about before we go. The last thing is this little nuggets and heat debacle slash mini brawl that we had last week. And you know, it's pretty rare that I'm saying maybe once or twice a year we see uh, you know, team team get into it. This this one felt a little more hostile though. So Morris, I believe it was Markeith? Yeah, Markeith Morris. He took a hard foul on Jokic. On a, a clearly unnecessary. He definitely put a little a little <clears throat> into it. <laughs> and then Jokic comes from behind and shoves the shit out of him. And look, I'm not mad at Jokic. Jokic retaliated. It's, it's, it's retaliation. Morris, you know, put a little elbow, a little elbow into his ribs. And Jokic is like, nah, bro, I'm Serbian. I'm, I'm shoving him to the ground. And then, you know, you got Tyler Hero running over and Bam and Jimmy Butler, who, you know, they're, they're not going to play it. And then you got Udonis Haslam, who's on the bench for security. And then I don't know who's really tough on the Nuggets, but I think Jokic is tough enough for everybody, right? And then after the situation, you had the heat waiting in the thing, in, in, in the tunnel, <laughs> to fight, the, I guess, fight the Nuggets. I don't know what's going on there. But, uh, you know, I guess cool to see some sense of camaraderie. My, my favorite part, though, was that God brought to Twitter. So Marcus Morris, obviously Markeith's brother slash identical twin. If you don't know that, then you're living in Iraq. But he went to Twitter and was like, oh, wow, shut him from behind, huh? I'll take note of that. Whatever he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that one. And then the Jokic brothers, his his brothers, Jokic comes from, comes from a family of uh, basically everyone's like 6'6 six, six or taller, and they all weigh like 30 pounds. They're all monsters. So the, brother, the brothers have a joint account. <laughs> and they're like, basically, like, oh, you should have left it alone. Uh, like, basically, we'll, like, basically, like, like, a, like, a will handle you if, if it comes down to it. Like, we have no way, we are, we'll, we'll handle you. <laughs> and. I mean, that was pretty much that. But you know, they made me think, who who would win in a fight? Team Nuggets, including the Jokic brothers, or Team Heat, if you want to include Marcus Morris, who's not on the team. But, you know, you, if you have Marquise, you have Marcus as well. They have, they, have, they, have, they have each other's back. So let's think about it. You know, you have, you have Jokic and, and, his, and his posse and all that. Then you have, you know, the Heat and Jimmy Butler and you know their little mentality. This is like a this is like a this is like a, a Soviet versus American thing all over again, bro. I know like I know Serbia is not not Russian, but I'm pretty sure part of Soviet, I'm pretty sure they're part of the Soviet Union. My I wasn't I was a history major, so you think I should know this, but either way, you have this whole Eastern Bloc. <laughs> Eastern Bloc thing going against a guy or guys who, you know, like Butler, I'm pretty sure at uh, points in his life where he, like, he lived in a car. 
So you have like so you have some you have some two you have two groups of some pretty tough individuals. Now the Morris brothers are two guys you definitely don't want to mess with. You don't, you don't. They got that, you know, that Naruto ninjutsu, you know, clone thing going on. But the Jokic bros aren't. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with Serbians. I don't know about you guys. I would not I would not mess with any Eastern European. They're you know, they're they're down to scrap, bro. They're down to beat some ass. <laughs> But I would not mind seeing, you know, a little, you know, WWE SmackDown versus Raw 6v6 type scenario. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing that, you know, get their starting five versus, you know, a six-man. Let's see, who would it be? It would be Jokic, his two brothers. That's already three. Who are you taking from the, uh, are you going to take, like, what, Bobo? Because you know from length. Who else in the team would be, like, a fighter? Aaron Gordon, maybe? Will Barton? I don't know. The Heat, though. The Heat has some guys. You have Marcus and Markeith, right? So we're going to count them both together. But they're going to be two. But we're going to count them both together. You, you, you have Jimmy Butler. That's, that's, that's three. You got Bam. That's four. Who's your fifth? Kyle Lowry, maybe? And then you got UD. Udonis Haslam. On the... Uh, as, as like a backup coming in you know taking so, like sneak shots <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing that man I wouldn't mind seeing that but I guess this is this is this is where hockey has uh has their benefits they can, they can just throw down the stick take off the gloves and you start swinging bro swinging none of this you know fake fighting you know, mean, hugging, aggressive, you know, shoving, X, Y, and Z. It's fun to see some beef, and I wish these two teams played some more, just so we can see some more beef pretty soon. But it is entertainment, man. It's entertainment. Love to see it, man. You really do. All right, man. That'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Bustin' Burner Podcast, episode six, signing off. We'll be back next week, episode seven. Look forward to it. NBC season's off, off to a great start. Hopefully it continues being hot in the streets. But until then, we will see y'all next time.